In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome in. Welcome back, Jesse. Good to be here, Zach. Yeah, I you know I'm happy to have you here. Uh Wisconsin on the field for a third time this morning. And they were in shoulder pads today. So we got a little bit more contact, some more contact than probably uh, Luke Fickle wanted in certain situations. But uh, it was uh, another interesting day. And so we're back here to talk about what we saw today. Uh, we'll do a little bit. Of, I'll, I'll do a little bit of a Q&A episode tomorrow. And then Jesse will be back on Saturday again after we see another practice uh, to give our observations as well. If you missed anything earlier this week, did a ton of, uh, I think, Solid shows, solid shows. Uh, got awesome talking with uh, Kelsey Sharkey and Jerry Mao yesterday about, you know, kind of the social media aspect of it and, uh, you know, how they're attacking that. And then the strength coaches back on Monday. That was a lot of fun as well. Uh, we're also today going to get into Jesse's article that uh, delved into the recruiting aspect with Pat Lambert and Max Steinecker. Um, I had a chance to talk to him as well. As I mentioned in yesterday's show, that interview is going to be coming in a week or so, hopefully we can separate it, push it out a little bit. So it's not right, right up against Jesse's because anybody competing with Jesse just looks stupid. So, you know, that we'll get into that here a little bit later in the show as well, but we'll start Jesse with your big, uh, I guess uh, big takeaway or big uh, note coming out that uh, I'm sure you're going to have in your article coming up here on the athletic. Um, by the time people listen to it, we'll be posted. Yeah. I think the focus this whole spring has really been about what does the offense looks like? And to me, it's who's going to be emerging as some of these playmakers. And certainly we've talked about, we'll continue to talk about the defensive changes, but I think I was starting to notice a couple guys that are giving themselves an opportunity and it's never a guarantee just because you're making plays in spring ball. But Will Pauling is the one name that I think really popped for me on Thursday as an offensive guy. He's been primarily used in the slot with the second team offense, but started to get some work with the first team group and made a handful of plays. And I think he did this a little bit on Saturday as well, especially in the one-on-one -on -one drills. You really can see the speed. He was consistently among the fastest guys during those offseason workouts, had a nice catch from Tanner Mordecai there, came up with a diving play in the flat in the 11-on-11 team portion. And I just think, he could be one of those players who emerges in that top four, top five to fill out this too deep that you, cause you're going to need five, six wide receivers in this kind of offense. So he's one. Um, we saw a nice catch from CJ Williams. I think Jack Pugh really is starting to stand out and he's getting more opportunities because Clay Cundiff is still recovering from the injury he suffered last season, but his body type, his physicality and athleticism, are kind of exactly what Wisconsin needs in this offense with a tight end. And he was another guy who's been getting reps with the second team group, but got some with the first team. So those are a couple of names and I'm sure we'll get into a lot more of just playmakers and pass catchers. And I have got to mention Chris Brooks Jr., who for the second time in three practices made the catch of the day. The physicality and athleticism are there. Uh, he made a play where it was down the left sideline, and he did this on Saturday, a 40-yard catch from Nick Evers then, basically down the left sideline uh, again this time, where he uh, kind of like jumped behind somebody and, and was able to catch the pass. So I don't know where he's going to wind up. I know you have talked about you feel like with his body type he could be a tight end, but you start making those eye-opening plays – in every practice and you're going to find yourself a role somehow. I mean, he's a, <clears throat> he's a wide receiver. I mean, I think he has a tight end body, the 84 and the way he runs, the way he catches the ball looks a lot like Lance Kendricks. He's not nearly as tall as Lance Kendricks. He's not nearly as big as Lance Kendricks, but it just looks like it. So maybe that's m where my mind has been a little bit, but at 225 pounds physicality that he plays with in 50, 50 ball situations, we've seen that it usually works out to his advantage. And the, the one today where he essentially just reached over the DB and, and, and grabbed it was ridiculous. So, yeah, yeah I mean, he, he certainly has stood out. Will Pauling, obviously, as you mentioned, another standout, Jack Pugh. I thought Jack Eschenbach. I know, we're, and I know you're 
probably talking more about guys that we haven't heard a lot about in their careers. But Jack Eschenbach is a guy who decided to come back for a sixth year. I believe he was one of the guys that walked right during uh, senior day and was introduced during senior day and then decided to come back or they got him to come back. And uh, he had a couple of touchdowns today from Tanner Mordecai. One was uh, just a situation where the coverage was blown. The second one, though, uh, was Mm -hmm. right down the middle against Travion Blaylock, and it was an absolute missile from Tanner Mordecai and put it right on him. And it was a really, really nice throw and a really, really nice catch. So I would point out him, uh, you know, kind of standing out as well. The Pauling thing, you know, you, you mentioned the first team reps. It came in the place of Skylar Bell uh, in the slot. I don't think it means a ton. I, I you know, and Luke Fickle tries did say just like Paul Chris did that. You know, it, it doesn't really matter who's running with the ones, twos, threes. I think he was talking about the quarterbacks, but I think he's probably referring to it in general. But I think it's at least notable. It's notable that he's getting snaps because that snaps with Tanner Mordecai as yes. opposed as opposed to Brayden Locke, and so. To get uh, and it wasn't the entire time. Uh, you know, I think when they went back into team, this was in a red zone drill. Like the first time they got those reps, the the second time, or as I say, the uh, when they went back to full field drills, Skyler was back in there. So I don't think it's like a situation where he's jumped him, but he's made enough plays here these first couple of days to at least have some consideration. And it, this is probably on us as much as anything. Uh, but I remember like doing like a top ten of guys who could potentially make an impact, and I don't think he was in the top ten. So or maybe he was right at the at the bottom of it, but he has shown out. I think he's been the most impressive of the transfers to this point. Right. Of, well, like of all the transfers. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Maybe, I mean, Tanner Mordecai had a nice day today, I, which is awesome because I thought the first two days were really ho-hum. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I didn't have anything great to say about what Tanner Mordecai had done the first two days. And I think if I had gone a third day without saying it, or maybe everyone had gone a third day without saying it, then maybe people start to wonder, okay, what's going on here? But uh, he had a really, really good day today, I thought. But among the transfer wide receivers, among the transfer skill players, he's I think Will Pauling has been the most impressive. Yeah, that's what I put in my in my recap on the athletic from practice number three, is that he's certainly been the most consistent. But I, I think it's worth pointing out, if we were making a list of the, the top 10 or the, the top seven, I think it was, of potential impact players, most of us, would have had Bryson Green on that list, the Oklahoma yep. State wide receiver transfer who was second on the team and uh, catches. He has not practiced yet. So he was in, in uniform today, but he wasn't participating in, in team drills. So this is also part of the equation is figuring out what do these rotations and lineups mean when you don't have everybody available? And I think if he was available, my assumption would be he'd be standing out and potentially in that top group. But either way, that's not meant to take away from Pauling. I think he's... He's been tremendous early on, and I, I don't want to read too much into him going in place for Skylar Bell, but it is that he's played well enough to warrant a look. And I think when you're standing out early, that's all you can hope for. And really, if as Mike Brown said, the wide receivers coach, he'd love to have six wide receivers. That's what you're looking for. And so Fickle, I asked Fickle about uh, pulling after practice, and he thinks he'll be able to contribute in a variety of ways. He said he's not just a slot guy, and obviously Fickle knows him extremely well because Pauling previously was at Cincinnati. And I am interested to see the number of ways that they could use him. Um, they can use him. They they have this orbit motion where they they put a they put a slot guy in motion, and he runs behind the the running back, and I, I think he can be used there. He's been involved in punt returning. Chimray DK has been the top guy, but then it's Will Pauling with CJ Williams getting some reps too. So he's an intriguing player, no doubt about it. Um, but on to your point about Tanner Mordecai, again, thought this was his best day. And maybe maybe we underestimated how long it's going to take for everybody to learn this offense. When Phil Longo talked to us back in January, he said the first four practices were the install, the next four were the polishing, and then the second half of the spring was situational uh, type things in practice. Um, but it is so different for everybody that that people are trying to get on the same page. And I think uh, Tanner really showed some of that fire and leadership today and made some great throws. You mentioned the two touchdown passes that he threw to Eschenbach, that that slant or whatever the route was to Eschenbach was Travion Blaylock was draped all over him. So he put it in a great location. Um, and I think he's definitely starting to play a little bit better. And I would expect that as we go along here and everybody learns the offense more. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, some other things that stood out on offense that a little bit of a slight uh, change to the offensive line 
on Thursday morning. Uh, Jake Renfro, the transfer from Cincinnati, who we thought had, uh, you know, would step in and be the starting center, was with the number two group, Tanner Bordellini, who had been the left guard with the first group, was was at center, and Trey Wedig, who had been the right tackle with the second group, was at left guard in place of Bordellini. So what do we make of that? Anything, or is it just – because, I, I again, offensive line play, especially when there's no pads on, it's, it's very hard. I did think that there were some at least – noticeable uh, issues in one-on-ones with Jake Renfro today. We got to see one-on-ones for the first time and uh, he had some problems with some of the defensive tackles, but again, it's day one. I don't want to put too much on it. Do you put, is there anything in there for you at all? Not for me yet. And I think part of this is we had the benefit of talking to Jack Bicknell Jr. and the offensive lineman this week. So we got a window into exactly what Bicknell is thinking. And he said that the plan was He wants three guards, three tackles, three centers, guys that he knows he can rely on. And he said he was going to use Joe Huber as a center and Tanner Bordellini as a center so he could evaluate those guys. And sure enough, on Tuesday, true to his word, he had Huber as the second team center. And on Thursday, he's got Bordellini as the first team center. And look, Renfro is not the versatile stick him at tackle, stick him at guard. He's a center. So if you're going to move Bordellini to center with the first team group, it's only natural that you're going to have Renfro snapping with the second group. I am kind of more interested in the fact they had Trey Wedig playing uh, left guard. And Wedig did say that on Monday, his understanding was he would be evaluated as a, as a tackle and a left guard. Um, and Bicknell said he considers him to be a starter. So I think there's going to clearly be a rotation in some sense because of the up-tempo nature but I'm not reading too much into the fact that, oh, now Renfro's on the second team. This is just to give guys a look and try to plan. And Bob Bostead talked about this last year, too, about how valuable it was to have three, four centers. I think he went back to the 2009 game against Fresno State. you got to have people ready. And I think that's more what this is about right now in spring. You say so. All right. All right. If you say oh, so. You sound no, like, I, you, you think, what look, do you think differently? Well, I mean... Yeah, you could put toward Tanner Bordellini with the second group if you wanted to do that. I guess so you don't. He but, doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to be at the first team. I guess, but I'm kind of like, well, he's he's clearly a first team offensive lineman, and when he does get snaps at center, if it's going to be with that first team group, so I I don't know. I mean, maybe you could say the same with Huber, but if this is something we're talking about a week from now and nothing's changed. I may I may change my tune a little, but since I, I don't want to read too much into a single practice when it just felt like, I mean, Renfro was coming here to fill Joe Tittman's spot, and that's that. All right. All right. All right. Gotcha. So that was uh, one other thing. Uh, what else on offense? Um, no Braylon Allen today. Yeah. So he uh, he went out or he went out late on Tuesday. I mentioned it in Tuesday's show, but there was a collision where Alex Smith tried to punch the ball out of Braylon Allen's hand after like about 20 yard run, 25 yard run, tried to knock it out. And they both went down and Allen was a little gimpy getting up. So he was not held out today, but he was held back a little bit, Uh, went through some of the non full speed drills, uh, but didn't take part in any team. He was there. So there's that. Uh, Jackson Aker went out during practice as well. Uh, don't know the exact injury, but uh, he was not able to finish practice, which led to Ches Malusi and um, Julius Davis and Kade Iacomelli, along with little Ben Glaudeman, uh, getting the majority of the the reps on the ground. And I know, like I don't, I, I I'm a big fan of Kade Iacomelli. I think he he has a chance to be that number three guy. I wouldn't say I, I still feel like if Jackson Nick was healthy, he would have been it would have been him and Chez and then Katie Iacomelli. Um, but what are your impressions early of a young Katie Iacomelli? Well, I like the versatility that he shows. There, there was one sequence where he, he got a handoff up the middle and running backs are in general. They always tell you to finish the play. So even if it would have been a 10 yard run, he ran through to the end zone 40 yards down the field. And because this is an up-tempo system, they were already ready for the snap, and Braden Locke was ready for the snap. And Yakamele had to run back, go behind the quarterback, and then immediately they threw a pass to him in the flat. Um, I'm sure he had to be exhausted, but he can do some different things. I do tend to agree with you, though, and I, I the reason I agree is because I asked Fickle about Yakamele afterward, and he used the answer as an opportunity to talk about what he's looking for in tailbacks, that he, he wants them to be able to impact the game without the ball in their hands as well. And 
there's nobody that epitomizes that better in that running back group than Jackson Aker, who was a fullback last season. So obviously you're not going to get the ball very often. He's, he's stout, he's physical, he's a talented blocker. And if, if that is what fickle is primarily looking for, that's, that's what Aker does. So I think he would have the inside track, but at least right now, a lot of different guys are getting opportunities and, and Yacomelli for a guy who was so versatile and didn't necessarily know where he was going to play, could play three different positions. I think he's making some important strides. I would agree. Uh, there was one, there's been one other thing that has stood out through three practices. And I think we kind of talked about it on Saturday, but it's then obviously happened uh, on Tuesday and then on, uh, on Thursday. And that is the lack of snaps for Nick Evers. Um, yes. You know, Braden Locke, Tanner Mordecai has taken all the one reps. Braden Locke has taken almost all of the two reps. It was I know Fickle was asked about it after afterwards and why he is in that spot and was kind of like he knows the offense. Uh, it's allowing him to, you know, the familiarity. It's allowing him to play free and and all that good stuff. But Nick Evers has barely touched the field. I'd say him and Marshall Howe and Miles Burkett have all taken the same reps, if not the other two given more than Nick Evers at this point, especially in teams. So, do you have any uh, do you have any feeling on that and what what exactly is meaning with that? Because again, we don't get to talk to the um we don't get to talk to Phil Longo the quarterbacks for uh, another week or uh, another week and a half I'm still learning um you know what it's like to talk to Luke Fickle in, in interview sessions but just like I mentioned in a question about Yacomelli you could kind of sense he was talking about somebody else I and I don't know if that's his intent maybe I'm reading too much into it but that's how I felt when he was asked about Braden Locke um about what what he's seen in him and he was talking about how the quarterbacks and for him in particular he, he tirelessly studies the offense and fickle talked about how there's a 20-hour rule in the spring and an eight-hour rule in the offseason and the quarterback is such a unique spot that if you're only using the eight hours and the 20 hours you're probably going to be way behind and he he mentioned how much Locke had grasped the offense and, and the concepts and everything if that's what you're bringing up, then that's one of the most important traits. And if you're not one of those guys, again, this is speculation because we haven't talked to the quarterbacks. I wonder how much of it just has to do with the the quarterback study sessions and, and understanding everything. Because physically, when we watch him, it's there, right? Nick Evers has the the, the strongest, quickest, the strongest arm, the quickest release. Um, but I think there are situations when he does get in where you know, are you, are you taking off and running before the play develops? Are you, do you, are you still learning everything? And there was a situation on, on Thursday where the third quarterback in was Marshall Howe, a walk-on yeah. and the fourth was Nick Evers. So if the talent is there, then I, I have to believe it's just grasping everything. And you know, that's not to knock him. He's been here for a couple of months. I know those other guys have too, but I think he's still raw. He threw one pass last season. I know Braden didn't play last season as well. And for some guys, it just takes a little bit more time. So it's where things stand now. I know Fickle said there's no depth chart, but they don't have Mordecai out there first and Locke second and basically nobody else uh, even vying for the second role uh, for no reason. Yeah, for sure. One more thing before we look at the defense. Um, tell me what happened on the first snap from under center that we saw in three practices. It may be the last snap from under center. <laughs> they were running in the red zone and uh, Bordellini was playing center and uh, the snap exchange with Tanner Mordecai did not go well. The ball was on the ground. So that's, uh, that's the under, that's all the under center looks that we've seen from Wisconsin through a week. Yes. Uh, first and last, first and last <laughs> for them. Oh, I, I, I guess this would go offense or defense, but CJ Williams caught a pass you know has has looked you know solid at times but all probably stood out more for his overreaction or i may i say overreaction you may say reaction uh to Amon williams taking him down he got up and just chucked the ball at him and completely missed because Amon williams <laughs> ducked and it hit a player from behind uh, hit a player behind him who caught the ball because it wasn't necessarily thrown the hardest i've ever seen a ball thrown but uh then it got into a little pushing and shoving and, uh, you know, two sides come together and they got all separated. It was our first little brouhaha of the, uh, well, yeah, the true yeah, real, first real skirmish, first, first real skirmish. Uh, it could have, I think there's something could have been had between, uh, Gio Piaz and Joe Brunner on, on uh, Tuesday because Joe Brunner put him in the ground. Uh, but 
it was the first, yeah, first little skirmish, and uh, things got separated. What have you, what have you thought of C.J. Williams to this point? I know, again, small sample size. I want to see more, um, and I think some of this, it's unfortunate in some respects, but the excitement level and enthusiasm that you have for a player at times is based on what people believe is possible for them. The fact that he was the a four-star top 10 wide receiver in the 2021 recruiting class, it made you go, wow, like they're getting players that they've never got before. Um, but there's still time. And he did make a nice catch. It was about a 35 yard touchdown catch in the front right quarter of the end zone. Maybe Kamoe Latu would have taken his head off, but either way, he, uh, <laughs> maybe he made, he made the grab. Um, yeah. it's, it's a deep and talented group. He's consistently gotten reps on the outside with a second team offense. And I think is one of those players. You just need more reps because even though he, appeared in like 10 games last season for USC. I think he played 58 offensive snaps. So he just needs more opportunities. I will say I, of all the answers I heard from fickle and he talked to reporters after practice. Um, this was maybe one of my favorite responses. He was straight up asked about CJ and throwing the ball at a guy. And some coaches may have brushed it off or not wanted to answer it. And fickle addressed it head on. And he talked about, and he's mentioned this before, how much value he places on emotional toughness. Um, and it's funny, the Wisconsin football Twitter account put out that video of where Fick was mic'd up. I think it was Tuesday's practice. And you could see him during one section. He goes over and he, I think he's talking to the DBs and he's saying something about not that they can't talk or chirp to people, but that if you're talking, you might not be ready for the next play. And when he was addressing this about with CJ Williams, he said, nobody's worth 15 yards and we've got to push these guys to, to maintain their energy and emotions because they're going to be really high in a game. You can't simulate 80, 85,000 people in the stands and a couple million people watching on TV. And he said, emotional toughness is a skill. So maybe we didn't handle it in the best way there, but you've got to have some of those situations so you can teach from it and learn from it. I, I just really like that answer because okay, a kid made a mistake. Everybody saw it. He's willing to address it head on publicly with reporters when he's asked about it. And say it's a it's a teaching opportunity, and uh, I just thought that was really good. I will also say, um, uh, Amon Williams does not stop talking. Um, no, he like doesn't. Uh, he is that it's never been. Um, he's never been shy about letting people know how he feels and and how he's playing. And so I'm sure it gets tedious uh, if you're a wide receiver and C.J. Williams probably feeling that. But um, yeah, can't react that way. Can't react that way. Honestly, I, I love Vaughn Williams because he gives you some just a huge plays in the spring. He's also yeah. on the receiving end of some big plays, too. Um, because that's just, that's just how he plays. I recall a Braylon Allen stiff arm the first yes. time in spring ball. You went, oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. It happens. Um, was that spring? Was that was that? Uh, was it fall? I thought Maybe, it was oh, fall. Oh, no. Yeah. I thought You're it was right. Fall. It was fall. He I remember played a spring was, season. Yeah, it was a toss to the, yeah. It was a it was, yeah. It was to the left, and he yeah he put him put him in the ground. Um, defensively, I wanted to go back to Tuesday because on Saturday we only saw them play one defense on yes. Saturday, right? We saw them play the the two four five, what we'd seen a ton from them last year. On Tuesday, that changed. We got to see wh whatever we're going to call it, whether you want to call it a just based on roster, just based on the roster, you call it a two three six. Uh, if you want to call it based on what it looks like, kind of like a three-three-five, however you want to talk about it, it, it's a different look with two defensive linemen plus an outside linebacker, a little bit heavier outside linebacker, whether it's CJ Getz or TJ Bowlers, and then Hunter Wohler essentially playing uh, an outside linebacker spot to go along with Kamoi Latu and Travion Blaylock in the three corners. It, it's a different look, um, and it's kind of, I mean, I think it's kind of what some of the stuff that they played at Cincinnati and it gave the offense all kind of trouble on Tuesday. When we talked to Mike Tressel in, in January, he, he used that phrase, which I think has now been oft used the last couple of months, is this idea of mesh the elite, of taking what worked well for Cincinnati with what worked well under Jim Leonard at Wisconsin. And the first practice on Saturday was all 245 stuff. It looked pretty similar. And we mentioned that on Tuesday or on Saturday. And then on Tuesday, it felt like, okay, now Trestle is ready to kind of flex his defensive muscle a little bit and, and use some of these different defenses. And because of how much they're able to rotate and switch where people are, it is really, it, it's understandable why it is so challenging for offenses. And again, this 
offensive grouping is still trying to learn its own plays, but Hunter Wohler playing up there Mm. in a linebacker spot, about 70 yards off the ball is they did this a little bit last year too, right? Like Jim Leonard saw his versatility and value. And I think even in the bowl game, they used him as a basically an outside linebacker, but he had the defensive play of the day. He perfectly read a throw underneath. He jumped it, uh, robber roll i guess you call it and it would have yep. been a touchdown especially john torchio yeah he, he yes um i think that combination is really intriguing because those top three safeties when healthy have a chance to work together in, in a really i think special way um where it's blaylock latu and woller but then they also had three corners on the field and you also had w- one of your outside linebackers playing on the line in the two yep. techniques. So, so standing up uh, the, the, and it made sense. Like w- when we were talking in the off season about CJ gets, I think we both wondered, well, what's his role going to be? How does he fit into this? And because he's a, a physical type, they have him there. And in the second group, it was TJ bowlers, which makes a ton of sense. The dude gained 17 pounds this off season. He's up to 268 and he can use his physicality and, and the athleticism that he has to beat offensive tackles. It's uh, it's very intriguing, and it's a lot different, I think, for for some of these players and what they're being asked to do. But it also utilizes their skill sets and and what they've done well in the past. Yes, and today, you know, the way that they moved Jordan Turner, like the way that Jordan Turner and Mumajong Meadow were moving around the line, like whether you know potentially whether they get are they coming, are they dropping, like it was constant movement, constant movement, and in, in that grouping, you know, what I'm saying like in that in that grouping. It was just constant. We actually, for the first time, we saw some base defense as well with uh, Gio Pias as the nose tackle. That was in the goal line situation. Base base defense has been uh, almost as non-existent as uh, quarterback under center. So, um, <laughs> right. So this, but the that look where they have Hunter in the uh, Hunter Waller and the ability to just to move him around and. and you know, whether it's blitzing, whether it's coverage, whether it's run stuff, like he's got, he's just so talented. And I think that's a perfect, perfect spot for him. I do think it's also telling the guy that they have in the second group playing that spot is Daryl Peterson. I think, I don't know if that says, I don't know what that says more about Hunter or that says more about Daryl, um, that Daryl's, uh, athletic enough to play that or that Hunter's physical enough to play that. But, uh, you know, when they, when they go to the second group, it's, it's Daryl Peterson in that spot. So I think it's to me, that's just that's noteworthy. I, I think it says probably more about Hunter and his versatility to be able to play all those different spots. But I think I think Hunter Waller could have a huge year in that role. In that yeah. role, I tend to agree because it's it's really incredible how much he's asked to do relative to what he did in high school. I remember talking to him about it. He didn't do any of this stuff. They stuck him in the post as like deep safety, and that was essentially his responsibility in high school. And Last year probably would have been his year. He he opened the season as a starter, but then he suffered that injury in the first game and and didn't start the rest of the season. So he's a four star kid for a reason. They don't they don't make very many four star in state safeties. Um, I mean he's the only one if you don't count Braylon Allen, who at one time was a safety. So I, I totally agree with you. I think he's got an opportunity in this role to be one of the most dynamic players for Wisconsin's defense this season. Yeah. Uh, a couple other things that stood out for me on, on defense today, Preston Zachman uh, mm-hmm. had, uh, had the big play defensively interception of uh, Braden Locke in the red zone that uh, he ran all the way back. I find it hard to believe that would be a touchdown, um, but uh, <laughs> either way, it was a re- really nice play. He's, he's essentially the fourth safety at this point, along with um, Austin Brown. Um, but again, when they're playing uh, Hunter Waller up in that outside linebacker spot, it takes some bodies away from the safety spot. Right. So uh, he was in there along with, uh, with Blaylock, but yeah, awesome Brown. They have, a, I mean, there's a lot of bodies there, isn't there? I mean, they, they have so many bodies there that they moved uh Braden Moore from safety as he came in as a safety to a slot guy, just to get him on the field, just to give him mm-hmm. some, some reps. So the safety rooms in good, in good hands. Imagine if John Torchio had come back, I, <laughs> they, oh, uh, man. they would have been loaded back there. And then also, Julius Davis, he's probably what? I think he's I think he's listed at one ninety five. It's probably a really horrible matchup, but he somehow got matched up on Rodas Johnson. Oh my! Uh, when Rodas came through on, uh, came free 
and he saw Julius Davis and his eyes lit up and he just took him for a ride back yeah. at the quarterback on his way. I should say on his way to the quarterback. I think really love talking to Rodas. He's just, yeah. he's a very entertaining guy. And I think he's got the athletic ability and, and all that stuff that comes with. We've seen shades of it, or I should say flashes of it. And again, he's not going to be on a running back every time, but uh, he's one of those defensive linemen that, that I think um, know that Keanu Benton's not a long, no longer around and understands that people think there's going to be a step back. And um, he doesn't view it that way. You and I haven't talked since we had a chance to speak to Greg Scruggs, the defensive line coach, and Wednesday was D-line day. Uh, just a real delight to talk to. We'll <laughs> give you an honest answer. And I thought it was interesting that he talked about what they lost defensively with Keanu and Nick Herbig, and that he went to the group, his D-line group, and he showed him the stats. And what he said was it wasn't meant to be like, make people quake with fear about what they lost. It was a call to action. And he said, let's just call a spade a spade. Here's where the numbers are. This is who we have returning. Y'all let me know if you think this, if you think this looks good. No. Okay, cool. Let's go put in the work, <laughs> uh, put the cleats on. So I, I think, I mean, he's just comes across as a guy who is a, a great motivator and somebody that people want to play for. But Rodas Johnson is in that role now of that, that guy that people will look to for leadership and, and he and Keanu spent a lot of time together. I think they roomed together last year. They would take, they would ride together to practice. I think I, I remember them talking about, they would listen to like, what was it inspirational books on tape or something like that on the car ride over. So he said he got an up close view of what Keanu went through of some of the challenges. And I think he's ready to embrace that. Um, and obviously from a media perspective, we love talking to him because he's a great quote. Yeah, he is. He definitely is. We also got our first look at some kicking Today, yes. Justin? How have we gotten this far into the show without this conversation? I don't know, but I've never seen four different guys kick in these situations. No. Have you? No. Uh, so they so they brought up all four of their kickers to to get things going. Nate, uh, Nathaniel Vakos and Nate Vanzel split. Uh, were the first two up. They mm -hmm. both went two for two. Um, Vakos from twenty eight and thirty five. Vanzel from thirty one and thirty eight. And then it was Gavin Lom and Vito Calvaruso. Uh, Lom went two for two. Twenty eight and thirty five. Calvaruso one for two made from 32 and missed from 38. So it's not like they went beyond that, but do you think it's really that wide open or do you think it's just, this is they're just how it's how they want to do it. The fact they also didn't go past 38. I don't know what that's about either, but either way, what here's you what I think. Here's what I think. They brought Tanner Mordecai here to be the starting quarterback. They brought Nathaniel Vakos here to be the starting kicker. Uh, <laughs> I, you, you, you don't bring a guy in who's a specialist and give him a scholarship if you don't have things lined up for him to be the guy and he's got the body of work, he made 22 of 27 field goals last season. No freshman in the FBS made more, made 49 of 50 extra points. He's got a stronger leg. I think he made 56 yarder in a game last year. To me, he's going to be the guy. And look, maybe Nate Van Zels will surprise. He certainly did last year. I think he fared much better than most people expected after Vito Calvaruso got hurt. He made 11 of 14 field goals. But to me, this is Bacos's job. And right now you're just giving people an opportunity. And when they probably start tracking who's more consistent and who can bang them from longer, I just think he's going to end up being the guy. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, Vito, Vito kind of ruining things there, though. Um, but he had... What, what kick was barely... The 32-yarder was barely, and then he missed, then he missed from 38, right? Uh, well, no, uh, who's, who's, who's the one? Van, oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, Van Zell's 38 yarder, uh, was, was very low, barely cleared the crossbar, but you know, just like a win is a win and good made field goals made field goal. Yes. And, uh, one note on the punting, one note on the punting here. They do not have a traditional rugby style punter on the roster. They don't sound like they, they did put both Jack Van Dyke and Gavin Myers in motion a little bit, rolling out to the right before kicking the ball. So it, ha it has a little bit of that feel of a, a rugby style hunt i think they've agree? been doing that for yeah they've been doing that for a couple of practices it'd be funny to make a joke about how they're just doing that so they can uh, avoid hitting the roof but uh i don't think that's what's going on here me, me neither because they hit the roof even doing that so yeah um, i don't have a good joke yeah all right well that's fine that's okay that's all right you you think of one and bring i will it back. I'll, get, I'll get back to you on the next show get, get back to me on saturday at and, least it's uh, not bart houston yeah at least it's not bart houston the all-time leading punter in Wisconsin history, the all-time rugby style punter in Wisconsin history. Um, so, all right, that was a look at practice. Wanted to touch on 
your story from Wednesday when you had an opportunity to chat with Max Steinecker and Pat Lambert, the two guys that are overseeing uh, what is a pretty significant change in the recruiting department. Um, they are they're an interesting duo, correct? I mean, that's a it is an interesting duo. They they're about ten years apart. Um, but they they seem to enjoy each other's company. They're actually sharing an office up next to uh, Luke Fickle. Uh, as I said earlier in the show, I had a chance to talk to him as well. Um, but when you look at what they have done to this recruiting department and how it has changed, and they're not alone. There's a lot of people up there. They've gotten student uh, assistants involved and uh, you know bringing in people to watch film and helping them break down players and, and finding players and all that. But um, when you look at those two, what stands out about them? Well, you mentioned a couple things. First of all, how well they get along. And this is kind of how I set up my story. But even the first question that I asked, they're just cracking jokes at each other about, I mean, you know, Max is like oldest first and Lambert's like, oh, really? Right off the bat. And then they're joking that they're wearing the same style of a Lululemon hoodie. And you don't agree to share an office space where you're working 14 hours a day with somebody unless you really enjoy being around them. So that's number one. And they've got years of history because they were together at Cincinnati when Luke Fickle was there and, and they have success. So from 2020 to 2022, when those guys were there, Cincinnati was number one in the American athletic conference in recruiting. How do they do it? It sounds cheesy, uh, but the relationship building, it's really, it's very real with those guys. The, the willingness that they have to communicate with recruits. Um, so the, there's a lot of things here and I want to organize my thoughts, but the level of organization and efficiency that they have is second to none. And I'm sure you saw it when you were up there, Zach, they've got their board. They each have their own board and you can see who their priority recruits are. It's color coded. And Steinecker is somebody who like Lambert calls him an Excel wizard. He will have something done within minutes of, of Lambert asking him to do it. He had a printed profile sheet of recruit at the front of his desk when I visited on a, on a recent weekday morning. And he does it because Luke Fickle pops in so much that he will hand it to him. Here's the prospect that you need to call when you have time later today. Um, and everything is just set up in a way that they're at the center of Wisconsin football. And I just can't stress enough how important that is that these guys are just as valuable as the assistant coaches. Fix office, like you said, he opens the door and there is Pat and Max's office and the assistant coaches, they convene in the office too. There is a blank stack of cards on the table that says Wisconsin football on it. And the joke that they have is if you're going to come in here and talk to us, you have to hand write a letter to a recruit. So they're obviously on top of everything. They talk to recruits from like 4.30 to 7 or 7.30 at night and hand them off to coaches. So the coaches know, okay, after 5 p.m., I'm going to be talking to prospects. And that's all handled by those two guys. Um, they just do so much. And that level of organization is critical, especially I think, you know, it's juxtaposed against this time where the recruiting department was non-existent for a little bit stretch under Paul Christ. And I, I don't want to beat a dead horse there, but I do think that the the juxtaposition is interesting. So they just, they do a lot of things well. And that communication part is key because they are, essentially secondary recruiters on all these prospects, even after they hand them off to coaches. And that's notable because Steinecker said that's a little unorthodox compared to other staffs. They don't just want to be evaluators. They just don't just want to set up visits. They continue to talk to these guys all the way through to the end and beyond. And that makes a huge difference. I think they're the first point of contact for a lot of these prospects. And I think of when Max Steinecker went with, Colin Hitchler, the safeties coach, they flew to Naples, Florida the day after Jonas Duclona made a visit to campus and they closed the deal over lunch. And now Duclona is an early enrollee at Wisconsin. So those are all vital. And the other thing I would say, and this to me was probably one of the most fascinating parts of the story is the way they divvy up responsibilities. Yeah, they, they are even like they may have different titles, but they basically split it down the middle and they're general managers of different positions. So uh, Lambert was a safety at Cincinnati way back when 2008 to 2012. I actually, and so he I actually found, I actually, he had one interception in college. Oh, nice. And I found it. And, uh, I mentioned it to it in, in the interview and he's like, what, what, why? 
Um, so, but, uh, yeah, no, he's, he, he was, uh, he was a safety. So yeah, that's, yeah, there's my contribution. Well, so, but he handles the, it's called the skill position. So he's in charge of evaluating the corners, the safeties and receivers. Steinecker was a, a high school linebacker, but he also, uh, you know, was an assistant student coach at Cincinnati. So he's in charge of what they call big skill running backs, tight ends, linebackers. And then a name that we haven't mentioned, Casey Robach, uh, former Badgers All-American offensive lineman. He's a major uh, player here in this recruiting department. He's the director of scouting. And because of his expertise on the line, he handles evaluations of the offensive and defensive linemen and the quarterback. So that's how they divvy up responsibilities. And Robach is basically a sounding board. So if they don't know, oh, what do you think about this running back? Should we offer him before we go to Devin Spaulding? And, uh, or should we present him to a coach before they go to Devin Spaulding? They bring Casey in. So I think all that shows the level of organization. And you also mentioned the student interns that they have. They've got seven student interns that are scouring social media, trying to get eyes on prospects and then presenting them to the recruiting staff with a, are they good enough or are they not good enough? And that's another thing Robach is in charge of is he meets with these students weekly so they can understand the parameters that this staff is looking for. I know I just said a mouthful, but the the, the point is they are just so organized and on top of things. And this is what you have to be able to do in order to succeed in, in the modern era of college football. You've got to be on top of all of this. And that's why you need a separate recruiting department. Yeah. The breaking down of recruits uh, and who they're going to you know go after and who they're not is was fascinating to me. Um, I, I read it in your story and then I asked them a little bit more about it because there's like, there's thousands of guys every year. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you do this? And um, you know, some of these guys are really good players and some of them aren't, um, you know, the scouting services, what, like, what do you do? And Max said they like, because, you know, we think four star, three star, four star, five star guys, um, and the scouting service they use, like most scouting services, like put the offers that these guys have in it. And so it, it makes it so, all right, well, look. Gosh, Alabama and Michigan, like these guys are offered. The service that they have does not have who offered them in it. So the the reports that they get don't say who they are. They want to be able to evaluate the guys on their own. They want to be able to have – you mentioned the student assistants or the student uh, interns uh, that are being asked to, as you said, scour all over the place and, and being taught kind of what they're they're supposed to be looking at. I mean, how that'd be a ridiculous job to have if you were in college. It'd be – I know. It'd be amazing. And, and they're like, we don't want people that are just, you know, have, want to have this on their resume. We want people that are obsessed about it. And I think they, he said that they found uh, quite a few people. I mean, well, obviously a ton of people applied, but they were able to narrow it down and get the, the guys that they think are going to be able to even work in college football during their their time. So, um, but just the, the breaking down of it and getting it from one spot to another spot and then to them and then to the assistant coaches and then how it all goes about. It was fascinating fascinating to me how that all played out and your story did a great job of illustrating it if you guys haven't read it uh, you can go find it up on the athletic but yeah those two are impressive and there's there's more people in that department um, mm -hmm. a lot of you know when we, we we've seen it now that we've been down to practice how many people are coming in actually max was at the door today when i walked in mm -hmm. um welcoming in prospects and um so it, it and it's not like this wasn't happening before but it feels a little bit more organized it feels a little bit more intensive and it feels uh, a little bit more like home i think um that again that's not to take a shot at the other staff it just feels like they're doing things at a different level yeah and should mention the other two john richter is another recruiting assistant just like casey is and molly roddinghouse is the director of on-campus recruiting it's a five-person full-time staff and and when when paul christ eventually bulked up the staff it was an eight-person staff and i think people maybe tend to get caught up in the numbers and these guys they just do so much and it's so organized that they seem to have it all down pat and i i think it is noteworthy that the way that they are able to execute on the visits and setting everything up and they've got donuts ready and and the the you know the placards or whatever for people to wear and the other thing that you mentioned or, or that you didn't mention and i didn't put this in my story but even if they don't use a, a service that tells them who has the offers. One of the things Max told me is, you know, we've also got 131 other schools doing our jobs for us. Uh, they absolutely monitor who is offering who, um, and that helps them 
not let people slip through the cracks yeah. um, for as much as they do to try and scout these kids. <laughs> there are so many that you want to do your due diligence. And so if, if somebody has an offer, they are tracking all of that. Um, and I, it is really fascinating to uh, kind of understand the inner workings of this. And those are guys that are, they're in at six 30 in the morning and they may not leave until after nine. And so very impressive. And, and now the question is, well, what can they do at Wisconsin? They had some success um at Cincinnati clearly they're off to a great start in the 2024 class I don't know how that one's going to play out but potentially they've got a possible a chance to finish in the top 25 but even if they don't there is a clear vision for the future where everything is in alignment with Luke Fickle and they want to compete to the to be the best that's I they both kind of balked at the question when I said okay so what do you think the ceiling is here for Wisconsin recruiting um what they did say is this comes straight from fickle. If it's measured, we're going to go compete to be the best. And so um, it, it'll be fascinating to see how it unfolds. And I, I look forward to listening to the interview that you had with them. I actually had a variation of that question. I said, you know, everyone doesn't believe it can happen at Wisconsin or the, 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 the idea of, you know, being an elite recruiting play, you know, a place where you can get elite guys to come. You may be able to get, you know, some very good guys and then you kind of have to develop them do you guys agree with that? Or is this a place that can, you know, and it was kind of the same answer, right? So it's tough. It's tough. It is. Uh, yeah. The the relationship aspect of it is because a lot of people put, there's a, there's a lot of places that have a lot of energy, right? Uh, we mm -hmm. don't have to look, we don't have to look too far to see that. It, it, it's to our West, right? A different kind of energy, I would think. But one of the questions I asked was, how do you make it so it feels genuine, um, mm -hmm. because I, I'm like, because there's a lot of places in this country and a lot of, a lot of colleges, a lot of teams, a lot of programs where it doesn't feel genuine. And I mentioned Minnesota. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't necessarily comment on that. I didn't even get a giggle out of them, which is unfortunate, but, um, you know, like, how do you, how do you make it genuine? And I, I, it's a tough question to answer because you, you have to be you and you have to be about it. And it's, but it's not just. Oh, I'm gonna be gen I'm gonna be intense and excited right in front of you. It's this is who we are all the time. This isn't an act. This is this is just who we are. And mm -hmm. uh I think that may separate them. Again, it it doesn't guarantee success, but um it, it has certainly given them a, a level of energy within the building. And when they when they walked in the room, I would I didn't I'm not good enough to go upstairs, Jesse. They have to come, they have to come downstairs. I, I'm not allowed above the first floor um, <laughs> in, at the football offices. So, but they had so they had to come down and they were excited. They were talking about some of the stuff that they have thought about, planned, uh, but haven't actually put into action for potential mm -hmm. visits. And I mean, it's they're thinking at a different level. I'll just say that. Yeah. And to that point, this is something else that I wanted to mention. So I had a chance to talk to one of the guys who signed in this 2023 recruiting class, Justin Taylor. Um who signed in December is going to be here in the summer. And he brought up the, he was one of those guys who he's committed to Wisconsin. Then this new staff comes in, doesn't know a thing about him. And he said, if you're, if you're sleepy around those two guys, you're not going to be sleepy around them for long because they bring a lot of energy in. And he got really positive vibes, but he said, what has stood out, especially in subsequent months is how they've modernized Wisconsin's recruiting, uh, recruiting approach. And we've all seen the, the kind of, social media efforts that they've made. You've got coaches tweeting more. You obviously have a head coach with a Twitter account, even if he's not necessarily the one who's running it. Um, but the things they're doing on social media, that is noticed by recruits. Taylor said as much. They're they're doing the things that kids like to see and that, that we see other programs do. And even the idea, and obviously the, the uh, collective helps with this, but the billboards that they had, that was spearheaded by Pat Lambert the, in the Wisconsin area and Chicagoland area where Taylor is from. And, and he said that their efforts and their strategy is just a lot more extra than before. And he didn't, the old staff, he said they, they were still methodical and strategic and, and they worked, but it just, it's not, what we're seeing right now. Um, and I thought that was notable too. The best answer I got from, from Lambert on that question, by the way, of like what's possible for Wisconsin uh, is when he talked about, and he was open about it. He said, we all have goals of winning championships and you, you've got to be able to recruit to that standard because we know the guys that are winning championships right now and what types of recruits they're getting. And we've got to win those battles. Now 
natural question would be how realistic is it? I don't think Wisconsin is ever going to be on the level of the Ohio States and Georgias and Alabamas. And obviously there's a number of reasons why the talent that you have in your backyard, but there seems to be a gap between what Wisconsin has done on the field with how they've been able to develop players and what you could get with a little more talent. And, and I think this is that gap that this, this group has the potential to fill. Yeah. Um, interesting guys, interesting guys. Uh, we'll have the, we'll have my interview coming up either next week or the week after. And then uh, obviously you can go and read Jesse's story up on the athletic right now. You can also find his recap from today's practice up there too. What else, what else you got coming down the line here? Well, I have a mailbag that's already running for Friday. Uh, and I think we were talking about this at practice on the, on the recruiting front, but somebody had asked me a question about whether Saeed Khalif being let go at Michigan state somehow vindicated, vindicated Paul Christ. Uh, it, they're unrelated to me, but I, I, I dove into that answer and a lot more in the, in the mailbag. And uh, there's more stuff. I don't want to always more stuff. I don't want to give it away, but there's more stuff coming. So, all right. Oh, uh, one thing from my interview yesterday yes. with, with Kelsey and Jerry, the camp is coming back and not obviously the podcast, but the camp uh, video series, the, the hard knock style series that they've done mm-hmm. for a while. They did one at Cincinnati and I watched one of the episodes and it was amazing. I think they've done a really good job at the camp, but I feel like, I mean, this, this one was like at Fickle's house talking to his wife. Like it was, it was intense, but uh, they're doing three mini camp episodes uh, covering the spring um, are where you're going to kind of get be introduced to the new staff and who they are both on the field and off the field. So uh, get ready for that. That's coming next Tuesday. They're going to re- release episodes every Tuesday. And then they're obviously going to have the camp this fall when, uh, when things get going as well, I, that staff is just remarkable uh, with some of the work that they do. I, the talent that some of these people have with video and be able to then edit it and to look the way it does. Jerry and his people are magicians. Uh, and Kelsey's obviously been a huge addition there too, because she has the trust of Luke Fickle. And when you have the trust of Luke Fickle, you can, you can do a lot of things and the access that they have compared to the previous staff, especially because the head coaches on board, at a different level. If you, if you missed any of that interview, go check it out. I thought there were some really uh, good little nuggets in there. So uh, Jesse, anything else? We covered it all. Let's do it again Saturday. All right. Sounds good. We will be back Saturday. I'll be back tomorrow. We've got uh, our mailbag version of the camp coming tomorrow. So if you have any questions about what we've seen here through the first uh, couple of days, first three practices, shoot them to me on Twitter. Uh, Until then, You've been listening to The Camp.